0: Hi, this is Zach Happenstahl, CEO and co-founder of Rise48 Equity. At Rise48, we've successfully purchased 38 different properties worth over $1.5 billion worth of real estate and gone full cycle and sold 11 different properties, drastically exceeding projections for our investors. If you're looking to invest with an experienced sponsor in either the Phoenix, Arizona or Dallas, Texas markets, then we're the group for you. To learn more about investing with us, visit our website at rise48equity.com and set up a call with me. Thank you.
1: I don't bet on refining anytime soon in the in the next 5 years, but I'm looking at a deal and saying, "Okay, I'm going to lock in this cash flow investment for the next 5 years and maybe not make 15-20% on my money, but at least I'll make 8-9% cash flow." I'll take that.
2: Hello left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go.
3: This is Jeremy
2: Roll, and you're listening to the Pass Investing from Left Field podcast.
3: All right, today I'm excited to have Matt Faircloth back on the show with us. Matt is Mm -hmm. co-founder of the DeRosa Group, a real estate investment company committed to transforming lives through real estate. Matt and his wife Liz started investing in real estate back in 2004 with a $30,000 loan. And then Matt soon quit his job, to, and together they founded DeRosa Group in 2005. Since that time, they've successfully completed projects in, involving dozens of fixes and flips, office buildings, single family homes, and apartment buildings. He's a frequent guest on the Bigger Pockets podcast and regularly contributes to Bigger Pockets educational webinars and boot camps. As well as being the author of the book Raising Private Capital, published by Bigger Pockets. And he will be joining us as a presenter at the best ever conference on April 9th in Salt Lake City. Matt, welcome back to Passive Investing from Left Podcast.
1: Chad, great to be back, man. Thanks for having me.
3: Absolutely. No, we appreciate you coming back on too. Uh, we usually start out with your journey. You were on episode 132 for us back in September. Yeah, Liz, your wife was on episode 38, so we'd have to go through a full journey of uh, the backstory. But maybe you can Middle give on a little journey update. done
1: that journey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. people
3: can pull those in if they want to hear more. But maybe a little detail in the background that I didn't cover already.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I, I'll i give it to you in like 20 seconds or less. My wife, I, my my girlfriend at the time, now wife of 18 years, put rich dad, poor dad in my hand in 2003, four or somewhere in there. Um, bought a single family home, lived in it, rented it out to two buddies of mine uh, while I was living there. So like a house hack, as they say. And um, that we never turned back from there uh, and just got into residential real estate investing and built a business over time started the DeRosa Group when we had got married, which DeRosa is her mother's maiden name. Um, just like a good Paisano, uh, shout out, right. You know, and, um, and, and, and here we are, we just slowly scaled into bigger and bigger deals and started raising capital back in 2011 from, from individuals and family members and stuff like that and built it out from there. And now we're sitting on a couple thousand units of multifamily. We have a fund and, uh, new assets, which I'm sure we'll talk about too. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed and grateful.
3: No, that's fantastic. And never a bad idea to pay homage to the mother-in-law. That's for yes.
1: sure. we so. we'll shout out.
3: Right. <laughs> Smart move. Especially Smart when they're move. Italian. You get your legs broken that way if you don't. So. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, so we asked you to come back on the show because you were on in September. There's actually been a lot that's changed in the economic world in, we'll in passive investing, right, since that time. Yeah. So a lot of it was just, let's pull you back in, see what's changed. How are you approaching things differently uh, you know, what's, what's new in the world of investing since we last talked to you kind of thing.
1: This is the bottom. It's going really be like the end of the yeah. show. Everything, has changed. Yes. Everything yes. has changed. Everything has changed. The end. Yeah. That, that's yeah it. I, I mean, like the, it, it's been one of the most, like the, the last, like not even the last, you know, since September, like the last year and a half or so in real estate has been probably one of the most dynamic changes I've seen since 2008. And I was investing in 2008 and that's not the same thing. This is not the same thing that we're seeing now that we saw in 2008, nor do I think we'll see another one of those. But the field has changed quite a bit in the last year, year and a half, right? Um, and, uh, and and so for, for example, Chad, DeRosa uh, underwrote, meaning like evaluated uh, 290 multifamily deals, I think it was. Um, so forgive me if I'm misquoting exactly my underwriter. Will, he, he can tell you exactly how many it was, but it was somewhere in there. Um, multifamily opportunities. We bid a fraction of those. Um, we made it to best and final on a fraction of that. And we missed on all of them because the, uh, the, just the numbers did not work. And there are still uh, the, the, the sellers are still somewhat unreasonable. And there's still buyers out there that are willing to pay whatever the seller is asking, just so they can get into the game or do a deal, so to speak. Um, and, and and so it's it's you know <laughs> feels like a wild wild west in some ways. And in some ways, I, I feel like the buyers that that some buyers and the sellers all think it's still 2018. And ourselves, the mortgage brokers and the and the the real estate brokers, deep 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 down, realize that things have changed quite a bit. So it's almost you kind of wait for another shoe to drop, which I think is starting to hit the ground a little bit. So we're we're seeing real material changes happening in, in asking and in in, uh, in in deals being offered around quietly um, that were bought recently, and it's very clear that the that they're underwater. So yeah,
3: interesting. Yeah. I'm guessing you probably even see that from your investor base as well. They're mm-hmm. still expecting. IRRs at a high amount that just aren't happening now. Cash flow happening just as quick as it ever did. Yeah. I, I would assume you're seeing that across the spectrum, probably, right? Yes.
1: So we uh, we're, we're very pragmatic of an investment company. We're not a company that's gonna that's gonna just go and blindly, you know, pay out a pref no matter what, you know. <laughs> Like, rain, sleet, or snow, your pref will be in the mail. That's not us, you know. I mean, we, we pay. We, we do this wacky thing called paying out of cash flow. And so, if the property doesn't cash flow, uh, or if there's, no, or if there, uh, if there's not direct income coming from the assets, we're not going to pay out anything or a distribution. So, for a while there, we didn't. While things changed, and while rates came up, and while there was a uh, major shift in in income from properties and in rates and everything like that. Um, you know, we took a major pause on distributions, and so um, it's and it's funny because we got you know some investors were calling us, wait, you guys aren't paying distributions, and like we got you, it's okay, it's all right, and but the reason why we're not is because of you know financial performance, or we're going to pay our property performance and everything like that. Now those properties that we halted on are all distributing again, right? Um, but we got compared to other operators back in, back at that in those days, being like, well. XYZ Company is paying me my exact pref to the letter, and it's by the way, guys. If you're an investor and and it's syndicator sending you exactly the pref, come on, let's question that because it sounds like you're just getting you know money so that you don't ask questions, right? For us, we're willing to engage in the questions, but we pay what what the property is performing at, right? And it's interesting that we're we've been able to turn the spigot back on because we took a break and we're financially conservative. Then and, and you know that kind of got us through a little bit of the last year. Those companies that were paying distributions like Clockwork, as I hear from our investors, you know, are now starting to say, "Well, we might want to be holding off on distributions for a little bit or whatever it is." And it's like, had you just been transparent a while ago, then maybe you wouldn't. Maybe maybe the the story wouldn't have, the story wouldn't have had to change here. But and I'm not. It's just different philosophies. It right? is. Yeah. Well, we just, I, we decided to subscribe to transparency.
3: So. I feel like there was an education needed on both sides. The mm-hmm. GPs needed to figure out that it was okay to do that. But yeah. The investors needed to really pay attention to no. the GP is protecting my capital, my investment yeah. by pausing at this point in time, because they don't have to come back and do capital calls later. Hopefully, yeah. you know, if, if they manage this better, so right. I, there I'd was rather hold of, off on a couple months of breath than to and have come to, to do a capital call. Grand. That's an right. easy
1: choice. You know,
3: yeah. right. so we, we had to help, kind of get that message conveyed in the community a lot because there was an odd, a, a lot of uproar in the forums of, Oh, this person stopped now. And this person stopped now. And it was like, that that's okay. You know, that's they're doing not the, the right end, the thing. The that's the thing. It's yeah. like, you got your, your, your,
1: your the, buying a real estate equity piece is not the same as buying like a bond that's yeah. going to, they, they use the G word guarantee that right. they're going to send you a distribution monthly, whatever it is. Like, there's no guarantee that a real estate syndication is going to be paying you anything, and and you can't count on that pref in being like a direct coupon. You want a direct coupon? There's dividend yielding stock out there. There's dividend yielding like municipal bonds you can buy um, that are more likely to, you know, that that can guarantee a monthly payment. Which syndicators should not even be using anywhere near those kind of language.
3: Nor should an LP be expecting those things. Exactly. Exactly. So, so very, you're exactly right. This is how the last year and a half has felt. How have your strategies changed then as you're approaching you, you didn't, land any deals last year or, or for the Went last one from the year, arm and man. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, what, and that's maybe part of the strategy of like, make sure we stick to our, our due diligence. We're order. very
1: disciplined. We have, yeah, we have yeah. extreme, we have underwriters that are more, they're, 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 they're lucky I'm not underwriting. Cause I'm a little more, <laughs> uh, aggressive like, and everything like that, but I've learned to have people work for our company. That are that are not of the same personality as me, and that's like a you know executive leadership one one, right? Uh, and so there are people that are way more conservative, way more pessimistic um, than I am that are evaluating deals. I've I've never had a bad day. I'm an optimist, right? So you don't want optimists underwriting deals. You want people that are willing to think about the absolute worst case thing ever that could happen, <laughs> and, and and that are architecting the deal structure to to hedge against that, right? So. Uh, we stuck to our guns and didn't do any deals, but we also, uh, good news, we started looking at new asset classes. Uh, we're looking at branded hotels now, right? Um, and every time I bring that up, people are like, oh, because you're going to convert it to a multifamily. No. And then that, that's a noble cause because there maybe is too many out like outdated uh, hotels that need a major, major investment. And it begs the question, if you're going to go invest in 30, 40K a door, into this site, you might as well make it something different, and you could make it into a, into an apartment building. There are people out there doing that. That's not what we're doing, right? Um, we are we are looking we are uh, looking to buy um, major brands like you've heard of, like you know Marriott, Hilton, Holiday Inn brands, right? And keep them as such because those properties do this wacky thing that multifamily has not done in a long time, and that thing is called cash flowing the first day you buy it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Oh, uh they, they make reasonable cash flows. These are these are re- uh, fairly good cash cows. So we really love um, the branded hotel space. It's not like multifamily though. So it's not something that you're going to get in and invest, you, you know, x amount of dollars to make twenty five dollars a door in rent, and then the property doubles in value in NOI. So it's not a low cap rate investment that every dollar that that gets squeezed out of it in NOI means. Tremendous increase in property value. These hotels typically trade in the way higher cap rate range. And because of that, they generate really good money when you buy them, but they are not huge value add plays like multifamily or other, you know, self storage or those kind of spaces are.
3: Yeah, no, that makes sense. What's I assume you're staying in the asset classes you're in. The tried and true's keep looking at multifamily mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. We'll bid
1: it. I'll underwrite another 200 and some ideas <laughs> here, Chad. We'll, right. uh, we'll we'll do that Winston Churchill thing. Like we'll go from uh, go from losing a deal to losing a deal in in the bidding process and never lose n- never lose any enthusiasm. Right. So, That's right. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. The
3: short memory kind of thing? Is that what yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, we're very committed to market. We're a market-committed uh, company. And I think that what's going to breed success this year in 2024 for operators is yeah. those that are market-disciplined, yeah. not operators that are looking to invest in 2030 markets across the United States and just yeah, bidding yeah. on whatever LoopNet shows them the best ROI is. Yeah. Um, we're only in like two markets right now. Uh, mm. The Piedmont Triad in North Carolina – in Lexington, Kentucky. That's it. Gotcha. You know, so So with that, we'll buy more there, but that's it.
3: Yeah. No, that makes sense with that discipline to stay that focused in your multifamily markets and so forth. What was the logic that led you to the hotel, at least starting to look down that path just as an enhancement too, or you Mm. see benefits there that, you know, are intriguing to you. What, What took you down that journey to get into that space? Well, okay.
1: There are things that drive a multifamily a market that speaks to multifamily, right? Um, there are other things that drive markets that see that are conducive to hotel investments, right? Um, and so we we have we we are shopping a handful of markets. Same of philosophy. Not thirty markets. Not fifteen. Probably two you know, um, that we're shopping in, in, in hotels, not ready for prime time yet, Chad, I have to come back on when I got it. When we're, when when we're uh, when we're under contract on something, uh, I'll come back on and and you and I can talk more shop on why the, what markets we really like on hotels. But I, I really still repractice what we preach, um, with regards to market shopping, but there's a handful of markets we really like for hotel growth and those like hotel growth. Is not necessarily the same thing that yields multi, multi-family growth. It's all about jobs and job diversity. That's what we look for, right? And jobs that feed the demographic that we're shopping. We invest in um, median income. That's our th- that is our market. So C class, B class housing. That's what we go for. Not A class. Not bougie. Not, just you know, that's it. Workforce luxury is what we call it. So. That, that means that you got to have jobs that feed the middle of, of the of the spectrum, right? That feed middle America. That's, if, if you got those kind of jobs, that's what I go after. That's multifamily, right? Not so for hotels. For hotels, you want other things. You want business travelers, you know, like, a, like a people that are in and out. So maybe a little more higher end jobs, you know? Um, uh, you also want to have some sort of a tourism element, you know? Um. And the one factor, as I gotten into hotels, Chad, the thing that you want to look for that I didn't think was a thing, but we have a a high-end hotel underwriter uh, that works for our company now. And um, what he's taught us is that what you want to go after is markets that have a lot of collegiate and high school travel, right? Yeah. Think about this, right? It it blew my mind, right? But think about this. You got a bus full of high school kids that have a tennis tournament. Or a soccer tournament whatever where do they got to stay they're certainly not going to run at Airbnb you know they're pulling that big old coach bus full of like you know screaming teenagers or whatever that's going to go stop at a holiday at express or whatever before they play their tournament so that and the same thing for college kids or whatever so collegiate and high school tournament travel and those those tournaments tend to happen in specific cities because those specific cities have made real investments in uh facilities that house these types of events right but they don't, they don't happen everywhere they happen in specific places so that that's a that's a big uh a big thing that, that, that that's a factor believe it or not i mean it's, it's wacky what goes into the evaluation on these markets um,
3: uh no that well it's such a spin from the norm yeah um that's interesting as a father of a travel soccer player for several years. You know years. what I'm I talking about? Yeah, yeah, I get it. You've written it's a lot of checks the Holiday Inn Express, know. you know? <laughs> <laughs> you want to wear those kids out a little bit while they're Right, you would have <laughs>
1: requested the coach, like, hey, can you, can, I, I have Marriott points. Can Can yeah, you guys make sure that you prepared. do a Marriott so it's I can get the points for the hotel pool. stop for my kids' soccer <laughs> train. <tournament. laughs> or can my kids stay across town at the exactly. Hilton property, because I'm, I'm almost Airbnb. to next status, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
3: Right. Oh, right. um, but great. But to, to pull it back to the changes that are going on, I won't make you talk hotel the whole time we're on here. Yeah, it's all good. To pull you back into that, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is things have changed. Um, what kind of metrics have changed for you to put a bigger focus on, would you say? And as a caveat to that, maybe what LPs should be paying attention to mm-hmm. more as they're reviewing deals that are finally brought to them because the deals have gotten kind of tighter are, are there changes in metrics that you've really put more emphasis on and should lps put more emphasis on something different while they're there yeah
1: i mean well, whatever i i would i think that we're gonna the, the economy is going to be more unpredictable and soft the next couple years right if that's the case then you don't want to invest in big upside deals where it's like, we're going to buy it for X. We're going to sell it for two X, three years from now. And we're all going to make lots of money. Let's go. Right. That conversation was like a heck yes conversation in 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19. Right. That's not the conversation anymore. If I were an, and if I were an LP, I'd be very cautious of deals where a lot of my IRR profit is made off of appreciation. Right. Because, the tea leaves that I'm reading, the people that I respect, you know, some of the, sometimes the same people that that you guys, that you guys have on the show and stuff like that, like mutual friends of ours, would predict that rates are going to stay where they're at. Cap rates are probably going to continue to expand a little bit. And if you're investing in a deal that is relying on a, a, a cap rate staying low ish, For the deal to make money, meaning like we're going to get in here and we're going to bump rents fifty bucks a door, Um, we're going to do value add hundred bucks a door, whatever it is, and that's how we're going to achieve big bumps, and then we're going to refinance and we're going to sell. That conversation has worked really, really well the last eight years, but that's not the conversation anymore. The, The deals have to cash flow, and so if I were an LP. And I am an LP. I mean, I, my, my wife and I have a good, uh, you know, we, we have LP money at work in non-Durosa deals and other people and other operators projects. Um, and we look for deals that cash flow the day that we buy them. I, if, it, if it doesn't cash for the first day, I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing the deal. Um, as a buyer, as an operator, as a GP, and also as an LP. Because um, I think cash flow, cash flow, Chad, is what got me through 2008, 9, 10, you know? um. when everybody was still playing, you know, upside and bumps and stuff like that, we stuck to cash flow. Um, And that got us through the the downturn of the market. And I think that's what's going to separate success from not the next couple of years, too.
3: Well, it seems like um, loan structures got so complicated or got, maybe I shouldn't say complicated. Maybe I should say we paid attention to it more as LPs than we did eight, five years ago because- Everybody was successful five years ago. Everything was going up. Appreciation was king and was bailing people yeah. out left and right. That was a big pivot that I saw when we got into the last couple of years of, oh my gosh, we really should run. When some of the smaller banks started having trouble, we ran and saw who were these deals were financed with. And then we started looking at, is their cap rate, high? Uh, you know, variable lines, Are there cap rate, uh, tops that we can watch out for those kind of things? How have that, how's that strategy changed for you from a loan structure as you've been doing this through the past few years?
1: Well, I mean, everybody, everybody and their mom was doing bridge debt, um, up until recently because it got so expensive, or whatever we have bridged. We still, um, we've unloaded most of them, um, not sold, but we've refinanced out of, but we've, we've got a few bridge deal bridge debt deals left, but luckily enough, we went in conservative on them or whatever. Uh, we went in conservative enough. We've got plenty of cash reserves and, and the, the rate caps are not a major issue, and yada, 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 right? So lucky us. But we would not be getting involved in a floating rate debt deal moving forward, right? I, I think that uh, the way that you protect cash flow is through fixing interest rates, you know, um, being conservative on expenses, um, somewhat conservative on revenue, um, on, on income, because I don't think rents are going to go 5, 10, 15% increases like they have in the past. That's not going to work either. So if a deal cash flows day one and your debt's fixed, then I think that you're fairly good to go. That's going to probably carry you the next couple of years. Um, even if expenses creep up a little bit, even if revenue doesn't five, 10, you know, five to 10% increase, if your deal is making money today, cash flow today will get you through the storm. Even if it's like five, six, 7% cash on cash, not 10 11 12 right so um, fixed rate debt is is the answer and i mean it, it's nice if the debt performs once it's amortizing most of the agency debt deals you see people do are um, are interest only you know and you want to do the math to say like well how far upside down would this deal be if this <laughs> if the debt started amortizing and if i'm an lp i'm looking at that yeah you know um yeah.
3: There, uh, well, so, me, so that's
1: something to look at as well. It seems
3: like some of the logic with the rates as high as they went was, oh, do variable because the rates are bound to come down. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I guess the catch is if you did fixed rate and it drops far enough that it makes mathematical sense, you could always refi. You've you could. hopefully done some fix to the property so you got more value there and you get a lower rate. You got to refi as, an, as a strategy still, I would think, that could still play in and still get you those cheaper interest yes. rates. If you it know what, made though, sense. Not to like, Get into
1: you know into weeds, but it's an interesting conversation, yeah. right? Um, yeah. I yes, I could go in and 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 lock like floating rate deal, debt at like eight and a half percent. Crossing my fingers, you know, like I'm going to leave a spoon under my pillow and cross my fingers and cross my toes that rates go down at some point in the next year, and then I can refi at like five and a half or those deals are out there. You know, the people that are thinking that's what's going to happen, but I can't control that. You know, I can't control what future rates are going to be, so I'm okay being in a deal with rates that are locked at five and a half, six for the next five years, as long as the deal cash flows right. If it cash flows now, yeah. If rates go down, then I'll either refi or sell in five years and or whatnot. But not, but like you're likely not going to. Refi out of that deal because there's a lot of like CMBS loans have hooks in them on refinancing agency debt has has uh, hooks in you on refinancing, um, you know, prepayment penalties, defeasements, you know, yield maintenance, all that fun stuff. So you're likely not going to get out of that expensive debt for the foreseeable future. But what you will happen is rates eventually settle back down. They eventually come down a little bit, probably not down to two and a half, three percent. We might not see those days anytime soon, but if rates have probably hit their top like most bet, most I'd be willing to bet on that their rates are uh, towards the high side of where they're going to go then if they don't move at all and my deals at 6% interest for 5 years then you know and, and if I'm cash flowing then I should be able to cash flow again at 6% interest on a refi it's only going to help me if rates go down um so I'm I'm willing to bet on that, and I and I don't and I I don't bet on refining anytime soon in the in the next five years. But I'm looking at a deal and saying, okay, I'm going to lock in this cash flow investment for the next five years, and maybe not make fifteen twenty percent on my money, but at least I'll make eight nine percent cash flow. I'll take that. I think that's going to be the the real numbers that we're going to have to take. But the performance is based on annual. Like I'm getting that now time value of money versus crossing my fingers and hoping the deal paid me, pays me a big check three to five years from now.
3: Exactly. Rust Belt Capital
2: is an elite Ohio-based private equity firm with a specialization in long-term, high cash flow multifamily investments. If you're looking for long-term recurring income, you should check out Rust Belt Capital. From their approach to managing risk, to the locations they invest, the product quality they provide, this firm is serious about what they do, which is why the owners of Rust Belt Capital invest their money in every deal they take on. Review their case studies by visiting RustBellCapital.com. That's RustBellCapital.com. Once again, RustBellCapital.com or email investor at RustBellCapital.com.
0: Hi folks, Ben Lupitas here, your host of the Best Ever Conference, dropping some exciting news. If you are a passive investor looking for a like-minded network and dozens of high-quality operators to personally meet, then you're going to want to hear more about this incredible new mashup. Leftfield investors is joining this year's best ever conference to create the most exclusive combination of networking and conference content available to the passive investor community anywhere if you're already an infielder then you get access to both events for less than the cost of one and if you're not an infielder then what are you doing sign up already in addition to a year's membership you get access to the lfi day at best ever conference on april 9th in salt lake city followed by three phenomenal days of learning and connecting at the 8th Annual Best Ever Conference where hundreds of operators showcase their best deals and hundreds of passive investors come to learn, invest, and party with each other. We have many masterminds, game shows, intellectual debates, pitch competitions, speed networking, partner hunting, almost 100 speakers, party after party after party, and the tail end of snow season in beautiful Salt Lake Valley. Be sure to claim an exclusively discounted price of $800 and join us in Salt Lake, April 9th through 12th for the event of the year. Check us out at besteverconference.com for
3: more info. Is that kind of a a change in your contingency approach on how you're analyzing deals this day that maybe you didn't do five years ago? Oh yeah. Is this part of that? What the economy's done has affected how you analyze deals and why you went through 290 and didn't do any. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, is. Of, it it's is just unfortunately a lot of multi-family
1: deals don't cash flow day one. Most yeah. don't. Yeah. Most don't because cap rates are too low, right? Yeah. That if I'm if I gotta borrow money from from uh Fannie Mae at six and a half percent, and the seller still wants a five and a half percent cap rate on on their on their sales price, that deal's not gonna cash flow. It's just not, you know. Um but cap rates have slowly crept up a little bit you know over over time and so we're, we're almost there um, there is some distress coming on for people that likely overpaid um, so I'll give you a few to tran- transition chat I'll give you a few tactics that we are looking at we're still bidding lots of multifamily and we're and the the gap between bid and ask between buy and sell is is slowly closing it's not collapsing but it's certain we're getting a little, we're getting there right and we've also seen a little bit more distress—not like blood in the streets distress, which we don't, we're going to see. But let's just say folks are a little more motivated than they were six months ago. <laughs> you know, You're right? Uh, that's starting to show up. So I think there'll be realism uh, in 2024. But I think the Derosa is doing is again—I I can't say it enough. It's, it, this is like the buzzword. People should get like should get a dollar every time I say the word on the show. <laughs> is cash flow right? We created a cash flow vehicle, a, a debt fund, right? Um, that we are, you know, bringing in money from LPs uh, and a lot of my personal money is in it as well. And we're investing in generating one of my favorite investment vehicles. It's not a tax hedge; it's just a cash flow hedge, which is uh, hard money loans. And so we have a, a, a fund that has a bunch of hard money loans out on the market right now. And we also pay upside, you know, to our investors and whatnot. So it's a win-win. So there, it's not like a fixed rate of return like a t- like a traditional debt fund is. It's whatever I can put the money on the street for. If you know twelve, fourteen, fifteen percent, investors get a piece of that. So they, the more I can sell the money for, the more money they make. So it's a win-win. Um, and there's no fees or whatever. So we develop that vehicle, and it's a good hedge. It's a good piece. Uh, for us to, as we wait for multifamily to come back around, um, we, we generated that and it's going really well, you know, uh, but it's, it's cash flowing. There's no upside. It's just whatever the fund makes in a month that pays it out. That's it. Well, and it's that
3: cash drag almost of a, we yeah. don't, we don't want to lump it into a multifamily fix up. That's going to take five, seven years to see back. Cause we don't think it really works. Here's a good place to at least put money in the meantime, make something on it, get it back. It returns quicker. Oh, yeah. If you know, I were,
1: yeah, I look for liquidity too as an investor because um, – and I think that LPs should be looking for liquidity right now. The Multifamily syndications are phenomenal, but you lock your money up for five years, sometimes longer, right? Um, and so uh, liquidity is a good solution to that. Most funds like ours are liquid. Um, yeah, and, and there's a bajillion other funds out there that have some lockup period but then liquidity soon after. That. Um, so I, I would seek out, um, if, if you're not going to get the tax benefits from cost seg and that kind of jazz, um, if you don't need that per se, I would seek out a fund that's got some liquidity component that you could get in on. And even better if you can compound your returns, um, which yet another thing is syndication and multifamily can't do. You can't take your cash flow and like buy more shares of the property because the property's only got like a hundred units. It's not like we're, building, we're adding units. They're like, oh, we're going to make it 101 units and 102 and 103. There's no more cap revenue stream for you to buy back into. But an open fund, many options out there for these kinds of things have the ability for investors to compound and their liquid. So those are, that's what I would be looking for if I were an LP right now. Well, I kind of wait for the economy to settle down and chill out a little bit.
3: Yeah. That's what i would be looking for. No, that's good. Um, One last thing I wanted to ask you, kind of related to all this, and you've talked about, Cash flow is almost King again, if it never went away really, but how in this economy with everything that's changed, how do you approach the exit strategies with an asset that's cash flowing differently now, maybe than you did a few years ago with cap rates being what they are and everything else too. Are you more tending to hold for a longer period of time Mm -hmm. and not, not get out because they're cash flowing or has that approach changed any in your, your, I think the concept of buy
1: and hold real estate is, is going to become. More back in fashion, right? It yeah, became passe. Yeah, became all well, the cool go. kids, or you know, buying a property and selling it again in six months or in eighteen months or whatever it is, and generating three x equity multiples and that da da, da 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 Right? Well, that doesn't. Well, no, it doesn't work anymore. Right? So I think that that um, you, you, what we're going to get back to, which is what we did. I mean, I got started as a like, like a you know smaller landlord buying duplexes, triplexes, that kind of stuff, and I mean. When you buy a smaller real estate investment, even like I had a 10 unit at one point, assets like that, you buy them, you hold them, you cash flow them. And then when it makes sense, at some point when the market is, you know, is, is yielding a good return or when you when want to move on, then you sell it, right? But having a sales date in the future on the time horizon of three, five years, whatever it is, that, that's all crystal ball you know predictions right who knows if the market's going to be there and I think that if you're making money even if it's like mid to high single digits you know maybe that's good enough for now and then when things continue to expand and push the the market will tell you when it is time to sell you know um, and maybe that's maybe that's what we get back to is just cash flowing until okay looks like, looks like we're approaching a favorable exit now let's take it And
3: that could be two years from now, could be seven years from now. Yeah. Well, and as an LP, those are the words I like to hear from my general partners that are bringing offers to me of don't feel like we're on a specific timeline and you got to make it happen. Let's have multiple exit strategies that can maximize all of our growth in this deal. You know, don't be pigeonholed uh, by what you've set up when you did your, all your performance to begin with. So that's great. Uh, Matt, this is all great. Last question I'll throw at you. We always like to ask, what's a really good podcast that you listen to that you'd like to share? So we can throw that in the show notes as well. Well, of so- course,
1: Chad, the left Field Investor Show. Oh, yeah. Thank, yeah. You so <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much.
3: No, I, I wasn't I, understood. We understand. I, I, I will throw
1: out a good friend's show. This is not one to listen to when you got the kids in the car, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but this is one that you and I have talked about recently. We've shared some laughs about it, and that is the Drunk Real Estate Show. And yes. I've gone on it recently uh, as a guest. It is a real talk. Um, gloves off sometimes you know rated pg-13 show um, with the, with the language and everything like that yeah, yeah. you know the hosts and i was lucky enough to be a guest host last week uh the hosts show up with a cocktail in their hand and everything like that and so it's it's fun yep.
3: you um, held your own did a very nice job on thank that too, you by the way yes. thank you
1: I, I hope i i hope i impressed him enough to come back on uh, <laughs> there you so go that was a lot of fun
3: There you go. No, that's great. That's good. Uh, And then just hit us up where listeners can reach out to you. What, where's the contact information? As
1: always guys, derosagroup.com, D-E-R-O-S-A, derosagroup.com is where you can hear more about us, what we offer, what we're up to these days, you know, learn more about our company at that website.
3: Perfect. Very good. Well, Matt, thank you for coming on again. Uh, we will have to get Liz on now to even this out a little bit but uh we appreciate you <laughs> I'm going to go talk long. trash
1: her that I was on your show and <laughs> yeah, that I've been on it I've that's been I've only been on it once so she, she got I on know.
3: before you though so she may have that to hold she over did. your head too she so. did
1: as as always, <laughs> as, as, always. A, as as a as, as a good man that's got a great woman behind I'm only a good man she's a great woman and she's uh uh pushing us along so I'm very very lucky uh, to have good her in my corner
3: Good answer. Yeah. Well, Matt, good to talk the to you. Thanks story, for coming I'm sticking on to it, Chad. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Cool. Thanks, family.
2: Investing in syndications can be a daunting task. Wiring a large sum of your hard-earned money to someone you talk to on the phone for 30 minutes can certainly be scary. How can you be confident in what you're doing? Steve Su, one of the founders of LFI, just published a book called Avoiding Rookie Errors as a Left-Field Investor. 20 lessons learned from 14 years of investing in private syndications. This is by far the best book I've read on syndication investing. It's an easy to read book chock full of great advice from steve's experience as a passive investor it is a must read whether you're a first-time passive investor or a veteran go to www.leftfieldinvestors.com books and click on the link to avoiding rookie errors as a left field investor if you are a passive investor you gotta read this book visor provides investors with a secure platform that displays a comprehensive view of all of their holdings on a single ballistic dashboard From real estate syndications to private equity, crypto to traditional investments with AI-driven, unbiased, honest insights to maximize return, Visor is your one place to rule them all. Automating performance tracking, projecting future cash flow, analyzing all your financial documents and much more in one powerful solution, making it easy to follow the money.
3: Sign up for a free 30-day trial now at pfizer.co. Really enjoyed that conversation with Matt Fairclough. Matt and Liz both are great to talk to any chance we get. Hopefully you found value in that as well. I thought it was very interesting to hear how he called out things like right now we're in maybe the most dynamic market that we've been in since 2008. It definitely feels like that's been the case uh, and who knows where that ending is found it interesting that he mentioned how many deals he'd looked at, 290 deals and didn't find any that he liked. So they passed on all of them. I like hearing that from my general partners because I like seeing their conservative nature to make sure that they're investing my money in an in a asset that's going to work, not force it to, to play in a market that's tough. Rather take the time right now and wait for the next good deal to come. It will be coming. We will get them, uh, but don't be in a rush to do it. I like how he focuses on cash flow as well and underwriting in that very conservative nature of focusing on, you know, what's going to work in a market that even gets worse than we are in today. So I love hearing that about uh, his approach to investing. Uh, I liked how he talked about some of the metrics and how they're becoming more unpredictable, putting, you know, caution on investing in an asset class that needs a big capital expenditure, a lot of fixing up uh, in the early time being, because it just may not work out in the numbers that we have right now. Um, And also not expecting a lot of appreciation. We've been on a huge appreciation train uh, for the last several years, and that's probably slowed down. So, you know, don't expect to see big numbers, or if you do question them uh, in the offerings that we get. And I did find it interesting how he talked about, he feels like the gap between the buyer and the seller is shrinking. They, the, they are getting closer together, which just means that the realism, as he pointed out, 2024 is gonna be the year of realism of getting everybody back on the same page between buying, selling, and the LP investors, if you will. Uh, and lastly, I like how he talked about his fund. I think it's an interesting model to look at if deals aren't as prevalent as they used to be, it's nice to have some place to put cash that will still earn some money over the next several months until you're ready to jump back into a deal maybe. But look for liquid and cash flowing assets if you do that kind of thing and focus on how much you can compound during that time. Uh, and lastly, I like this quote of buy and hold seems to be coming back in fashion. Uh, That's going to be interesting to watch and see how that sticks. But hopefully, you all enjoyed the show as well and took some good nuggets from Matt's feedback also. Thank you for listening in.
2: Thanks for hanging out in the left field with us today. If you are interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestor.com and click the subscribe button to join our community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to the show on your podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you really enjoyed the show, a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the podcast would be appreciated. This show
1: is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from
3: Left Field and Left Field Investors.
1: Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.